This is the Real Digital Transformation podcast series, empowering technology and business professionals to succeed with digital transformation. Now, here's your host, best-selling author, Thomas Earl. Hi, this is Thomas Earl, and this is another episode of the Real Digital Transformation podcast series. I'm very pleased to have with me here again today, Dr. Tim Bodke, a um, leader and partner at Deloitte and a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. Um, and Tim is here to talk about some examples that he witnessed, that he studied as part of the research for his book about how organizations can either succeed or fail with managing the financials of digital transformation initiatives. And so what I've asked him to do is come up with one example where he can share with us the steps an organization took or did not take that led to failure. It led to failed expectations. It led to consequences that uh, resulted in negative um, in a negative target state that the organization was working toward and the lessons learned from that. And then I'm going to ask Tim to give us a success story and, and why that story led to success, the steps another organization took to do it right. So, so Tim, welcome back to the show. Yes, happy to be back. Thanks for re-inviting me. Thank you, Tim. And so let's jump right into it. I really want to learn about perhaps the worst example that you came across of an organization that perhaps was unaware that it was going down the wrong path, had certain expectations with their digital transformation initiative, but ultimately did a number of things wrong that led to failure or perhaps catastrophic failure. Um, if you could share with us that story and detail for us the steps they took, the missteps they took, and the lessons that were learned from that. Yes, happy to. And I think before I even start, let's say, I think the you, you were talking about catastrophic failure. I would first say that in the digital transformation case, such a thing doesn't really exist because you always learn. And whenever you fail in something, uh, even in the bigger scheme of things, as long as you survive as a company, probably next time you will do better. And that's what we see all the time. So it's always easy to look back onto something and say, look, everything was done wrong. But when you sit in the boat, um, it's not that easy. And that has to be taken into account also in the stories I'm telling today. So these are from hindsight, um, easily said, um, this was all done wrong. But in reality, when you sit in there, it's not that easy. And then the first step was made by management to say, look, they, be we, they believe they said that we believe in this technology, we can scale it. There was a high level discussion saying this can be big. It can be a highly relevant part of our overall business model. So, so far, so good. Um, they freed the money to do so. Um, they selected their best people and the most talented commercially and also from the technology side. And then they said, look, but we cannot do this in the core of our company. So we ring fence this development. We will fund a new company. 
We will do that in a city outside of our where our headquarters sitting. So by definition, remote um, in a different area where we have access to the right skills, which we don't have in our home city. Um, we, we send the people over there. We try to simplify all structures, HR procedures, um, new different type of office space. So it was all, all said and done. The company was founded. Um, uh, money was put into it. Um, advisors were uh, taken on board. Some M&A budget was there. So all this very nice financial fantasy in place. And then it started becoming difficult. Number one, first mistake in hindsight, it was a good idea probably to have it far away from your headquarters, but it was not a good idea to more or less have no link to the core business model other than regular talks kind of in a portfolio mode, you know, saying, look, how is it going? Green, red, amber, nothing else, etc." So first mistake, um, Second mistake, um, then the, the M&A money was quickly spent. Um, the, the companies being bought were actually screened by dozens and dozens of experts. Um, so all the more interesting, far-reaching companies in the portfolio to be bought were quickly removed for risk reasons. So the most boring standard business model was added. And then you had this setup, which was growing and growing, uh, driven by very ambitious managers, obviously, but still totally lacking a link to the strategy of, of the core business. Hmm. And then what does happen in these cases? At some point in time, someone is looking into the cash being burned and someone is looking into the revenues being made and when the revenues are next to zero, when you start ramping up more and more spend on people, the acquisition, um, the probe, getting the right technology people on board, etc., everyone gets nervous. And um, then over time, uh, what is happening when you start measuring this kind of setup with the traditional financial tools? Second mistake. What would you characterize as? um financial tools that are traditional yeah in, the, in this case it was um, money spent versus budget um, uh, share of revenue upside achieved over time um, uh, average cost per headcount taken on board technology spend all these things which um, in this kind of model you will quickly see that numbers get bigger and bigger um, on the cost side, but on the revenue side, you run into the issue that it takes more time than you ever expected. And then the typical CFO mechanisms come into place. Budgets are like uh, taken under close scrutiny. First cuts are happening. Uh, the overall question of the business model is coming up again. And as I said before, the first question, what is really the model integrating this company with a core company hasn't been solved. So all these things started happening and then it very quickly became clear that the investment had a negative um, return on invest, at least in the time frame everyone was foreseeing. And then what happened is very simple. Um, there was a simple change in board. So, so new people coming into the executive, um, they started questioning again more and more 
The, the core business was asked whether they would ever use that technology. They declined. And then the company was like closed down faster than you can even imagine. Okay. So um, then, so as I said, at that point in time, it was very clear that the, the shorter term ROI was not happening. Um, the, the belief originally in the bigger scheme of things that this would be a key ingredient of the overall transformation, digital transformation plan of the company that wouldn't happen at scale. That's, that's the, the, the usual issue that we see. And also in the research that you find initial successes, great technologies, but they never scale to an extent where it really changes the core business. So that actual value is generated from a shareholder perspective. It's just a, you could even say a hobby or a pilot somewhere at the frontier of your business. In my book, I have these three areas um, of where digital transformation can happen at the frontier and in the adjacent, adjacent space, which is close to your business or in the core. And there are good reasons for all three, but whatever you do, the experience and research shows that in the end, if it's not transferring back to your core business from the frontier, or from the adjacencies, then it's not really changing your overall digital transformation story. And that's what happened mm -hmm. in this case. And I'm usually saying, look, you need to use financial tools to measure digital transformation. And that's what happened in this case. But you can also use these tools to suffocate new ideas if at the wrong point in time with the wrong focus and not fitting to the big, bigger digital transformation story, you apply them because then you see it's just a cash burning exercise, which is not scaling fast enough. And then usually these things are dead quicker than you can. Think. So in this scenario, were tools used the wrong way? Yes. Um, the first tool which was used the wrong way was the strategic view into how to scale this thing. So the original case was too like, yeah, was not big enough. The vision was big, but there was never any financial plan how to scale the company fast enough. And this more or less led to um, a, a vision which was in the financials not big enough. And that led to when the numbers were not coming to the suffocation of the business model. And mm -hmm. the technology is great. Um, but you can imagine what happened. It's not like even these, the senior people who learned a lot about how build, how to build these type of companies that they returned to the core. No, they were so just so frustrated. Um, and they use their skills now somewhere else. So in the end, you could argue it's not even an experiment, which the overall company could learn from, because if you lose the people who learn or who learned the hard stories, then. There's nothing gained other than a legend hidden somewhere in PowerPoint, um, PowerPoint deck. Right. Okay. And, and so, um, what, what happened? So how did this turn out, um, over time? Yeah, it, the business model never went live, never really. And it does no, this, this separate company does no longer exist. All the key managers are gone. All the learnings are gone. The, the, the implication was we should never do this again or not very soon. Um, so the whole mood for experimenting, um, was not really there, but then I think a, a key learning, which really happened. And that was the good thing was that fr from that point in time on, these things were handled in a different way. 
So now whenever there are investments into new technologies, one of the first tests is whether the core business of the company would be a customer, would be the first customer at scale. Mm -hmm. um, and if this test is not having the green flag, then there's no investment in these technologies. And that's, that's the real difference. And that, that's a model which um, now more and more companies adopt. It's called client venturing, um, where you, where companies ask startups to solve core business problems for them. And when they can help to solve these problems, they invest versus believing that a technology can use something and then buying the company or building it by yourself and then never transferring it back to your core business. And that's now really changing the industry, in my belief. More and more companies are moving to these models because you cannot develop all these technologies by, by yourself. You, you, you know, you're deep in technology. There, there's no one, no single team on this planet who can have a view on all the technologies uh, out there and develop everything by themselves. You cannot buy everything immediately, but you can onboard startups helping you to solve your problems. And that, mm -hmm. that's a model which we see working for many big corporates more and more. And so the research that should have been done yeah. should have addressed the core business yes. and the customer base associated with the core business yes. to ensure that what was being developed would be accepted by that and would become a foundation for growth as opposed to making assumptions about what existing customers may or may want or need or like. Yes. And the, that's coming back to the key message, uh, which you will find in my book and what re research has shown and all the, since launching the book, all the discussions I've had with the executives all over the world by now is there's one key theme from all these things is that the digital transformation they've seen, we're always breaking at that part of the framework in the book, which was not planned in advance. So the book says, or the research says there needs to be a strategy, which is sounds easy, but that's, that's one of the major breaking points you often find because it's not clear what transformation is for. And if it's not clear what the transformation is for, meaning how to succeed against competition in the marketplace, then you better not start. If that's not there, that's where it's breaking. That was a bit like in the story I told, you know, it was a technology. It was, it was placed somewhere, there was a business plan behind, but there was, it was not part of the bigger strategy of the company, other than we need to innovate something somewhere. Um, and there's a lot of emphasis on innovation in digital transformation initiatives. People want to take advantage of having a greater digital presence yeah. and, and be more disruptive, be more innovative, yeah. attract more customers. So in this particular example, was it a case of being overambitious? Or was it a case of just being negligent with regards to your due diligence and your upfront research? I think there was a lot of overambition in, in, in this, and there was a lot about underestimating the, 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 the barriers against scaling to a size, which would really matter. Hmm. I, the, I think this is a great example where you can see very often business models up to a certain size, you can make them work. If, if you pump in enough money, if you put the best people, 
um, if the technology is good, um, if you did your basic customer research, yes, uh, I think somehow you can make a company live and survive for some time. But the scalability, if, if that's not happening, uh, the difference between corporate innovation and digital transformation and what you, you and me, if we would found a, a little company, mm. we, we can manage if we just have a few million revenues. I think that's fine for us and we can make a living, but it's just not working for a billion size corporate because how many of these things would they need to really make a difference? Mm -hmm. And that's what I see more and more often uh, people realizing that it's so easy to make successful pilots, but it's so hard to transform at scale because otherwise you let's not call it digital transformation. Then it's just a little startup investment, which is also mm -hmm. fine. It's fun. You can learn something from it, but it, it doesn't deserve the, the digital transformation name. Mm -hmm. I would say because the transformation, the motivation behind it is usually one of growth. There's yeah. a goal to grow. There's a, um, there's expectations that the investment we make in it will result yeah. in significant growth. And if we can't realize that because the underlying business model doesn't support it, then despite the best technology, um, we still can't achieve that yeah. uh, the so um, before we move on to the success story in this example and in this particular type of scenario where you proceed with an ambitious digital transformation but you don't succeed because your underlying business model is simply not prepared to deal with the growth potential and then the growth potential is not realized mm. and then it's gone um, your opportunity to seize it uh, disappears and you've made an investment that you're not going to get a good enough return yeah. on. So my what, what's interesting to me is like what I would like to understand is so in general terms, without getting into too much mm -hmm. detail, what what is the key characteristic of a business model in that case that inhibits growth? Or is there one? Is it different for every organization? But what is it about the business model that should have been augmented or adjusted ahead of time that could have helped support that growth? Is there? Is it always the same thing or, or is it different? I think the way you asked the question is obviously it's not always the same thing. But I think the um, if I would have to say in the corporate setting, there is one characteristic, characteristic everyone needs to watch out for, which is, can you transfer it back to your company in general? Because I think the, the other option would be uh, that there will never be any link. Um, and you hit the jackpot still and develop a business model, which is so different from what you usually do, that it's basically growing to an extent where it's dwarfing your original business. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that there are too many, if any, great examples of this. Um, but if so, it's also not, not so much of an issue. Then what you probably would do, you would float, take, take this new set, new business model to, to, to the capital markets, um, 
split your company, dismantle the rest, or let it be as it was. But it's a scenario which we, you don't really see very often. Um, very often you hear people say, disrupt yourself before being disrupted. Mm -hmm. But what does it mean? Does it mean you develop a completely new business model um, and then that will be Greenfield and standalone and that will be the new company and the old co will go away? Or, or does it mean you kill your core business before someone else does? I don't know. So coming back to your question, except for the rare few cases, which I'm not really sure I would have a great example where you something completely new was born. I think the link, the linking back and the plan to link it back to your core business is the key criteria to watch out for. And if that's not there, there should be some red warning lights. Um, or you just say, look, it's a financial investment. I invest in a few technologies. Some might have returns, some might not, but it's not really affecting me as a company other than that I learned something. Mm -hmm. That's then a venture. You just vent, do some venture investments and we all know what skills you need to be really good in venture investing. And it's not so easy to have them in a corporate. Yes, you can hire these people, you can build a team, but that's really, again, they're not changing your core business. Is it difficult for an organization in that situation to perhaps predict what to expect as a result of the transformation and adoption of new digital technologies and, and a broader marketplace that they can operate in. Um, is that a challenge to be able to say, well, we, we understand our business model today. We, we want to grow in this direction. We want to make this investment, but despite our best efforts, we can't accurately predict what that growth will look like, how the market will respond, how our existing customers will react to improvements, all these changes we're making as a result of transforming our business um, and our technology, which we perceive as enhancements, uh, they, you know, how will our competitors react? So not being able to understand what our business market, our business activity will look like six or 12 or 18 months from now, as we proceed with this, if we, if we don't know that, what advice would you give to a company as to how to prepare their business model for that? I, I think there are a few things which you need to consider. I'm not aware of anyone I've ever met who can predict the future. <laughs> um, so I, I think that that's a fact and it has been a fact in business since business existed. So, if you want to have great gains, that's the usual rule of financial investing. There's also high risk. There's nothing like great gains for low risk. It's almost never existing. Um, and that really means that in the end, um, the only advice is you need to hedge your bets. Um, so you always need to have a portfolio. No one can say this one bet will make it. I think as an entrepreneur, you can. Then, then maybe you are bankrupt afterwards or your company is gone, etc. But as a, as a corporate, there need to be several bets and eggs in your basket to make sure that one of them makes it. Um, the second thing is um, it shouldn't be about technology. And, you know, 
for, for my book, I looked into decades of research on not digital transformation. There's not so much real research, but on technology value. And uh, there, there has been so much research. And one thing was always clear that technology doesn't create sustainable competitive advantage. It, it's a tool. Um, and in some lucky rare cases, companies have technologies which no one can copy for some time. But in today's world, what most companies do when they digitally transform, they rearrange existing platforms in a way which is then called best of breed, which more or less means we plug things together, which already exist. We build some interfaces and then no one should be surprised that just plugging things together with different interfaces and take, putting it into the cloud and let's add 10 more buzzwords doesn't create sustainable competitive advantage. So the bet you do when you hedge your bets shouldn't be on technologies. It should be on customer needs. It should be on a competitive advantage, which is not only technology. And that's, that's my key belief. And, you know, I work a lot with companies um, uh, who, who have great platforms. There's so many great vendors out there. I think what used to be a CRM system when I started and what the CRM system is today that, that has not, not much in common other than um, some of the purposes, but the, what these technologies can do is amazing. But it doesn't help any company on this planet um, if they all take it as it is, they customize a bit. And then in the end, everyone has the same platform, you know, and everyone is plugging who cares what is in the front end, who cares what is the data platform, who cares. You can make really terrible wrong choices. But if you as most companies do, if you pick the obvious winners or one of the obvious winners, you just don't end up having a competitive advantage in this game. So hedge your bets, but not technology bets. I think the good thing is that it's much easier to find something which works. Um, but the bets have to be, so how do you succeed in the marketplace? That was part one of our two-part interview with Dr. Tim Bakke, author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Digital Transformation Payday. We'll continue with part two next time in which we discover additional tips, characteristics, and approaches recommended by Dr. Botke as to how to carry out successful digital transformations. Thank you for listening. Follow Thomas on LinkedIn 